0: Good day to all of our investors and general listeners. This is the Rudd Commentary. My name is Josh Rudd, and I'll be your host on this presentation today. With me today are Jack Kerr and our Capital Markets Group. And a surprise today, our clients may hear a familiar voice. Our client services manager, Morgan Lenquist will be joining us to share some of what she's been hearing. From our clients who are approaching retirement. Welcome to you both. Thanks, hey, Josh. For our new listeners who may not be familiar with our firm, the Rudd Company is a wealth management firm headquartered in Fort Worth, Texas. We manage investments for clients across the country and specialize in personal investment management, retirement planning, and the setup and management of employer retirement plans. Morgan, I know you have expressed a lot of interest in, in covering this topic, and this was really your idea. So I'm excited to cover uh, the retirement topic for those that are, I'd say or within about 10 years out from retirement and closer. Well, before we jump into that, as we normally do, I want to give Jack an opportunity to take us into the trading room and give us a quick update of what he's seen over the last month in June. So how's uh, how's June stacking up, Jack? June's
1: looking pretty good. I want to start with the market. And as we all know, 2021 continues to be a great year for investors. A lot of the major indexes are at all-time highs as investors remain optimistic about the reopening of all world economies. And As we see money flood into some different sectors, we've seen industrials and materials do really well as investors are concerned about inflation and they move money into companies that can deal with inflation better and and raise their prices as their input costs go up. Josh, one question I've heard investors ask, is a time to sell or when is the time to sell? And my answer to them would be that markets go up for many different reasons. It could be economic growth, productivity gains, optimism about the future and even inflation, like we just talked about. One thing that remains true is that it is nearly impossible to time the market. For example, before the pandemic started, equity markets were doing really well. No one could have really predicted the sell-off that we saw and, and how drastic it was. For those that stayed in the market, remained patient, and even contributed more at the bottom, they really saw those investments pay off quickly. It was last summer even that the equity markets fully recovered and even went beyond where they were before. So, the key to long-term success is to stay invested and to contribute as consistently as possible.
0: You know, Jack, that's you're exactly right. You often hear the term; it's not uh, timing the market that matters. It's time in the market that's important. And Jack, do you know what's even harder than knowing when to sell? Is when to buy? Is when to get back in? Yeah. Imagine if you're like most individuals. You know, you're looking at these multiples on a lot of these equities and these low interest rates. The specter of inflation, right, is is there and and you're thinking, God, Lee, we're hitting all these new market highs. And we've seen that the last couple of days. What was it, the 30 or 31st market high of the year already? And you're, you're thinking, well, I think I need to sell everything. The big challenge with that is you may be approximately right on the sell, but when do you get back in? Yeah. I'm- think about last March. When would you have gotten back in? Yeah, I
1: know there was so much uncertainty. It was hard to tell, you know, when do I want to buy back in? The, the sell-off was so drastic that it was difficult to time that.
0: And the, And the real truth of the matter is that if we had a model or if we had a method for picking the tops and the, and the bottoms, we wouldn't be on this podcast. Jack would probably be somewhere else. I know I'd be on the beach in Tahiti <laughs> somewhere with a laptop working just maybe an hour a month or whatever the case oh, may be. But, sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? But no, the, the issue here and, and what history really suggests is that it is, as, as Jack pointed out, it's staying invested long-term, trimming when things get a little expensive, looking at the investments. Are they performing? Are they still uh, meeting the needs and achieving the objectives that you set out when you first made that investment? Going all cash in an environment and then trying to uh, determine the time to buy back in is, is really impossible. Usually if it's done, it's done by luck. And you just have to be very careful because you'll sit out of the market while the market's making all these new highs. And if you think about it, you think about just the time, value, money of inflation. I mean, If the growth was linear, we would have a new market high every day, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the point that, that a lot of investors miss. It's it's very common for us to have 30, 50, or even 100 market highs in a year. It's not. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. It just depends on how volatile the market is and and how much growth in, in terms of inflation, productivity, and, and innovation that we're seeing. So I'm glad you brought up that point, Jack.
1: And to add to that, in some years, we see certain days that make up a huge portion of the overall return for the year. So just missing a few days during the year can have a big impact as well.
0: Well, Jack, you're full of great ideas because that's a point that I missed I'm really glad you brought up was staying out of the market just for a couple of days can have a significant impact to your return for the year. So thanks for bringing that up.
1: Yep, no problem. And so now I want to go into some economic data that we've been following. And of course, want to start with inflation here. So the consumer price index, which is the Federal Reserve's main measure of inflation, is showing price increases of about 4% year over year. Josh, as you and I know, many prices are increasing at a much higher rate, like home prices and commodities. There's a few different reasons for this. I think the higher demand as the economy comes back, combined with some supply chain issues, we've seen companies find it much more difficult to find labor and and other capital to fill orders. We've also seen an increase in the money supply. So we've had the additional unemployment benefits and stimulus checks that have really added to the money supply and given the consumer more money to spend. Despite all this, the market continues to shrug off any long-term inflation concerns as the Federal Reserve sticks to its transitory stance, which we talked about a lot on the last podcast. Josh, you have any thoughts
0: here? any, Any changes of opinion? No, nothing's changed at all. You've got a lot of cash chasing a limited amount of goods, and then you throw in supply chain issues and the, I guess, recovery, right, from the pandemic and all of us getting out and going on vacation. You put all that in the mix and you have an inflationary problem. I'm concerned that investors may not appreciate that some of these inflationary pressures may be stickier than they uh, think. Yeah, I agree.
1: And I think in in this case, it's just going to take some time for if the inflation data keeps showing up as, as high year over year, then I think investors in the market will really start to realize that maybe it isn't so transitory. Then the last thing I wanted to bring up that I've seen over the last month are home sales and how they have started to drop as home values continue to go up. Josh, I know you follow the real estate market pretty closely. You have any insight here?
0: You know, I have seen that not only with home sales but some other more consumer discretionary goods as well. You brought up some of the extended unemployment benefits I believe on the last podcast it will be ending. Here in Texas they just ended. So I believe a lot of the fall off in demand, Jack, that's affecting some of the pricing is just due to the fact that there's less money in consumers' pockets. That could be because less stimulus. It could be some other reasons. But we're starting to see that not only in big ticket items here more recently, but also in smaller consumer goods as well. So that's something that we're going to be watching very closely. And you're right. It has just happened. Uh, It's something that we will be watching. And it'll be interesting to see if we have this pickup in demand in real estate after the end of summer, as some professionals will tell you that you generally see at the end of the summer.
1: We'll be watching that closely. And the last thing I want to talk about is precious metals. So it's been a couple months since we've talked about gold and silver specifically. But one thing I found interesting over the last couple of months is that gold and silver traded on the exchanges seems to be more correlated with the stock market than in the past. History suggests that gold has more of a negative correlation with the stock market and does well when the market is selling off or there's fear in the market. Also, when there's inflation, gold can be a natural hedge for for that type of environment as well. It's been a little bit of a surprise to me in the way that gold's performing right now. I will tell you that there's still a very high demand for physical gold and silver. We've seen a lot of gold dealers have trouble filling orders as quickly as they usually can. I think it's becoming more and more expensive to
0: buy because of this. Your point is spot on, especially with the physical metals. And let me comment on performance. So I'm a little surprised at the performance of precious metals so far this year. I feel that with all the information that we have available, it would seem to me that even the exchange-traded ETFs of gold and silver would be in a little more demand than they are. But you throw in Bitcoin, you throw in the real estate market, some other hard asset alternatives... And just the low interest rates and leverage that investors can take. And it really doesn't surprise me. Also, we've seen a lot of movement in the dollar and the treasury market as well. And that'll impact the demand for gold as investors can exchange dollars and physical assets that you know typically don't pay income for assets that uh, typically do when you look at uh, other alternatives. So we can move on to the, the physical gold that investors would uh, buy and, and store and keep at home. And you're exactly right. There's a very high demand for that. In fact, I would tell investors that if you're interested in owning gold for the long term, owning physical gold and silver has many more advantages, privacy one, than owning it in your uh, investment account. In fact, I know we talk about gold and silver a lot, but gold and silver throughout history, when you look back, has been a very poor investment. And we don't use it as a long-term investment at this firm. And I just want to make that very clear for our listeners that I do believe families should hold gold and silver in the long term, but that should be in a physical form. I still believe in productivity and innovation. It should be the primary drivers in investment portfolios, especially here in the U.S. I mean, this great country produces great companies, and I would much rather own an innovative company than a bar of gold for the long term.
1: And I think a lot of people prefer to own gold in the physical form anyway, they can hold it, they can actually see it rather than (laughs) on the exchanges. Do you have anything else? We're going to go right into retirement today.
0: Jack, I am excited about getting into our topic and I'd like to give Morgan an opportunity to share with us why this is an important topic for her.
2: Thanks, Josh. After having some conversations with many of our clients and realizing the anxiety that's kind of formed around retirement and approaching retirement, even closely after retirement, I realized it's something that we should address. It can be sort of all-consuming. You have a ton of experience here, Josh.
0: I do. So you're (laughs) saying retirement's a pretty big deal.
2: It is. It is. And it's not just, you know, sailing off on your boat like it sounds like. So I would like to maybe give some tools for people's toolboxes moving forward.
0: Well, I'm really glad you brought this up, and you're exactly right. And Jack, you may even retire one day, right? Yeah, long way away, (laughs) but someday. (laughs) And what I'd like to do is I'd like to discuss some of these topics, Morgan, and go ahead and just unpack these for our clients. Let's give our clients some tools to make this transition as successful as possible. Why don't you give us some of the, the greatest hits?
2: The big one, we have so many successful clients, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it's the fear of running out of money
0: that's one of the most common concerns and really boils down to a couple of variables. When we do our financial planning and when we start this process, and we call it here at our firm our retirement roadmap, and we start the financial planning process very early in the relationship. So let's say somebody Jack's age was to come in to quite a bit of money and they were to hire us to manage those assets. We're going to start the financial planning process and start looking at those dates very early. Now, someone for uh, your point in life, Jack, maybe. 30 years out. It may be 40 years out, but we still want to go ahead and mark that date at some point in the future to just give you an idea what you need to do to start working towards those goals, right? So over this period, we're, we're doing these updates to a financial plan about every three to five years. As a family moves closer to retirement, their earnings increase, children are in the home, children move on to college, move out of home, different goals, different objectives. So we're reviewing that on a regular basis and Morgan, it gets a little more serious when we hit about five years out. We need to really take a serious look at what those dates are. Those dates start getting a little more accurate and we really start looking at, you know, the most common way to look at a retirement date, Morgan, is is based on age. We start talking about, well, I can work until I'm 65. I can work until I'm 67. So we really need to start discussing with our investors when they want to exit and when they want to transition to that new time in their life. Once we get about two years away from that date, Morgan, we start recognizing that we've done most of the heavy lifting. When you think about it, the real powerful component to preparing for retirement, at least from a financial perspective, has to do with time. Jack, it would cost you much less money in monthly contributions to your retirement account to reach an objective than it would me assuming that our risk tolerances are are generally the same. But that's the thing to consider is the less time you have, especially when you get within about 24 months of your retirement date, I hate to say it, but the work's already been done.
2: So if someone hasn't been helping you out, you're on your own, if you're in that five-year mark?
0: Well, you are. and, And we can still, we do get a lot of referrals from new clients and they want to start talking about the retirement planning and they've done great work. You know the traditional way of putting into your 401k and retirement account, but your specific concern was running out of money. And and the point I'm trying to get to is that when you retire, let's assume you're taking a, a distribution out of your retirement account. You're getting Social Security, and you have no debt, right? So you've you've taken our advice and you've done a great job saving. You've got no debt now. You're you're spending, and and you recognize that your expenses are going up over time. What is going to address your primary concerns of running out of money? There's a couple of things. At our firm, we focus pretty seriously on the, the maximum withdrawal rate that you can distribute out of your retirement account on a monthly basis. I know some firms will stick to that 4% rule. We have a lot of clients that are retiring early. That's, that seems to be a trend earlier than the typical 67, 65. Our investors need to understand that the earlier you retire, the longer you're going to be in retirement. Just to give you a practical example, when I started in this business, for those of you who don't know, my dad spent some time in this business and my grandfather spent some time in this business. And I know that when I talked to my grandfather many years ago, he had mentioned that, you know, the big change in financial planning and in the investment industry is that when he was in the business, when investors would retire, they typically retired at age 65 to 67. Life expectancy for a male, Jack, do you know what that was at that time? Let's say maybe in the 80s, high 70s. Yeah, it was actually pretty short, much shorter than it is now. So you wouldn't live as long and everybody had a pension. so you Easy straight. Yeah, you, it <laughs> yeah. wasn't that hard, right? Okay. So you, you retired at age 67, you were statistically only expected to live another 10 years, and you had a pension. And I don't know if you're thinking what I'm thinking, but if you don't have a lot of debt, that doesn't require a lot of financial planning. Right. You just go out and you, and you do what you are. The, the challenge today is what? Why is this such a big concern for our investors?
1: people are living longer without that income.
0: You're exactly right. I mean, we see these commercials on TV of these active seniors, right? We're out and we're we're going skydiving <laughs> and we're hiking and we're doing all this stuff and uh, well into our late 70s and early 80s. And travels become one of our biggest questions. How are we going to pay for our travel yeah. and retirement? And there's a lot of new, exciting and, and wonderful places to go. The world's accessible, right? And we want to have this wonderful lifestyle. So Morgan, when you ask about running out of money in retirement, you share that concern Sticking to your withdrawal rate, your maximum withdrawal rate, understanding risk tolerance, working with a professional, having a professionally managed portfolio. Those things are all important, but also understanding and prioritizing what's important to you and making sure that we're not withdrawing more money than we should on an annual basis. Let's prepare for the future. Let's have a budget in mind and let's manage that withdrawal rate.
2: So you touched a little bit on paying off debt, debt and retirement. Let's talk about that a little bit.
0: That's a mantra here at our farm. For those of you who uh, have, have worked with us before, our listeners that are among our clients, you know very well that, you know, typically when I'm asked, you know, what are the biggest obstacles to a successful retirement? I'll share with families, you know, stay at your job, which also includes contribute to your 401k. You know, if you're job hopping all the time and you're not participating in your company's 401k, it can really set you back. The next one is make sure you pay off all your debt before you retire. That's extremely important. Going into retirement with a bunch of debt or uh, moving. A lot of families like to move and relocate after retirement. You know, you go out to Hilton Head and you have an enormous mortgage in retirement. It imposes a lot of stress. So just working that debt down before retirement. And the last one, which I get a lot of funny looks at, but it's, you know, very practical. It's just, you know, not getting a divorce right before you retire. That's staying married is extremely important. It's extremely financially costly to do that, making sure that, you know, that you have a lifelong partner and a relationship and a spouse and that you discuss the financial matters with that person and that you have a plan and that you have an understanding. Some of the biggest challenges I see into retirement not just with debt, Morgan, but another one is uh, one spouse managing all the finances, the heavy lifting. Yeah, yeah, and it's just uh, it's a team approach. I know that you've probably heard me on this program before talk about that my wife and I approach the financial matters as a team. You know, we have a financial offense and defense approach. Offense being the earnings, and defense you know being controlling the spending. But it's extremely important to take that on as a team. And I feel when you do that, you can enter into retirement, Morgan, with little or no debt, which removes a lot of stress so, off of yeah. the family.
2: Absolutely. Moving into retirement with low stress, what about five years now down the line with inflation? Will my account hold up to that? What will it look
0: like? You know, inflation is, and rising costs are really concerning for a lot of families that we work with, especially moving into retirement, those with the memories of the late 1960s and early 70s inflation. I think, Jack, to your point about inflation earlier on the market update, that's what's driving a lot of the anxiety among our client base who's entering into retirement. I mean, they remember what it was like when interest rates were up in the mid-teens. So that's a real concern. And what I would tell investors and listeners today on the program is that is why the withdrawal rate is so critical when you initially retire with the amount of stimulus in the market and, and the money supply increasing dramatically. I would tell you that there's quite a headwind for those income-producing assets for a lot of retirees. Jack, since you've been working here and been in the industry, interest rates have always been low, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, they've never been normal. So when you go back and when newly minted CFPs or certified financial planners are are minted and they come out and they start working with clients and and they've read all the articles about that 4% safe withdrawal rate, that's based on 80 to 100 years of data where interest rates were much higher than they are now and growth rates were much higher and taxes in a lot of cases were a lot lower. And, and so we have to make sure that we're looking at each individual situation and we are assigning or we're recommending a withdrawal rate that fits that specific situation. For example, if I have a family that's retiring in the late 50s, early 60s, I'm not going to recommend a 4% withdrawal rate in most circumstances. There's a lot of things that affect that also in terms of risk tolerance. If a family is is very conservative in their risk attitude or their capacity to take risks, which we've discussed before, the withdrawal rate might be a lot lower there as well. What's important to know, Morgan, is with rising costs, our firm, which I believe every firm should, we plan for those price increases over time. So for example, if a family comes in and starts taking an $8,000 distribution per month out of their investments... We are planning for that distribution to increase with inflation, maybe not annually, but at an annual rate. So, so it's assumed. So, absolutely. And, and we also assume that there's changes in those life stages, Morgan. You haven't mentioned yet, but you know, when we retire, I've been doing this for about 20 years. And when families retire, they're very eager to travel and do all this wonderful stuff. But that changes over time. And the expenses are very different. And they may get to a point where their spouse, their lifelong partner is now having some health challenges and they don't want to travel as much and they want to stay close to doctors and they, uh, they want to bring family to them. They want to change those expenses. And the distribution plan that we have needs to be able to accommodate those changes. And so really good questions that you're asking. I'm interested to hear what else is on investors' minds today.
1: Josh, we talked about inflation and how that can impact retirement, but I have a question about market performance. If we have market volatility right before retirement, or say, you know, we have a big sell off and someone's expected to retire in two years, how do they deal with that impact? Do they have to work more or do they have to decrease spending in retirement? What would you recommend in that scenario?
0: Jack, you just uh, did a lot of the heavy lifting for me on that question. Great job. (laughs) So uh, you're exactly right. So a lot of the questions that we've been getting and Morgan, jump in here if you have any other comments. Are around? Godly, the market sounds high, or it feels high right mm. now, and I just plan to retire. You know, what do we do now? Am, am I really ready for retirement right now? You're exactly right. Volatility is—I wouldn't say that it's the enemy, but it is something that we have to watch more closely leading up to retirement and in retirement. You can't predict the order of those returns, right? We'll, we'll make a prediction of, say, a certain percentage per year that we need to generate. So I'm just going to throw out some numbers. If you are wanting to distribute 3% of your account, we would like you to earn some amount more than 3%. So you can reinvest and we can give you pay increases in the future for inflation. But what what happens, Jack, if we have a 20% market correction six months before you retire?
1: Yeah, I'd imagine that's, that's pretty difficult to make this <laughs> what Well, you
0: brought up a couple of the options that you have. So let's take a look at that equation. What are some of the levers that we can pull if we lose 20% of our portfolio six months for retirement? Any ideas?
1: Oh, we could decrease spending in retirement for the first few years.
0: We could definitely decrease spending. Is that something that? Uh, yes, boo, right? <laughs> Is that, I don't think that's something many people want to do. What else can we do? We can work longer. So
2: also, boo.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, I I would be the guy down there at the uh, at the large scale discount retail store greeting you when you walked in. <laughs> um, what else could we do, Jack? What do you think? Anything else? Well, what about taking more risk? We're talking about a mathematical equation, right? A lot of times, one of the biggest errors that retirees will make is, well, I'm behind now and I need to catch up, so let's take more risk. So the point I'm trying to make is that these market sell-offs and the volatility is something that we need to try to minimize. It's not the enemy because we like risk. Risk gives us the ability to earn a higher rate than inflation, Jack, right? Risk is not something that we should be scared of, but it's something that we need to manage. So when we go into retirement, we definitely want to manage that volatility because the unpredictability of those returns is something that can not only cause stress, but as you just pointed out, work longer, spend less. And those are things that we really don't want to do. So at our firm, when we look at the withdrawal rate and when we look at the time of retirement, we try to take those numbers and we try to take those confidence levels up to about two standard deviations. When we're taking a look at uh, our confidence of whether or not that client, again, based on history, we can't guarantee anything, but whether or not that investor should be able to take those distributions, not only initially for retirement, but as Morgan pointed out, take those pay increases every year. And that should last them a very long time now that we're living much longer these days, well into retirement and beyond, and hopefully pass money right on to the next generation.
2: So we've discussed the financial anxieties that surround retirement. Luckily, our investors, hopefully, we ease a lot of that. That's what we're here to do. But what we haven't discussed is some people I don't even think recognize it's there. Are these other anxieties that are surrounding retirement that are not financial? I'm just going to start with, how am I going to spend my time?
0: Well, Morgan, you're bringing up, uh, I think, one of the most underappreciated and overlooked challenges with retiring. And as I'm a pilot, I'm going to pick on pilots here in in this answer and just kind of walk you through an example just to get our listeners thinking about retirement and some of the things that could really impact them. As a pilot, I have a lot of respect when I go and sit down on a commercial aircraft and I see that pilot and the first officer walk in. I see that door locked now. And it's so wonderful that I can go sit in there and they do their job and I just arrive somewhere else. And it's safe and it's wonderful. And and the reason that it's like that is that environment is very sterile. It's one of the last, as we like to joke about, dictatorships left in the world. They are the captain and uh, they run the show there. And we are placing our lives in their hands. And uh, I'm very thankful for that. One of the challenges for our captains that retire, because we have a lot of successful airline pilots with just incredible careers, is that they retire and they're no longer in the left seat, Morgan. And they no longer are walking in in that uh, really good-looking hat and the stripes are on their shoulder and, and running the show, if you will. Yeah, they're in control, right? They are the pilot in command. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. If you're in the healthcare industry, if you're an executive, if you're an attorney, we work with a lot of entrepreneurs, CEOs, CFOs. You're the pilot in command of your operation. And I think what's underappreciated in the transition to retirement is the change in your life when you leave that environment. Not only how you're going to spend your time, but what's important to you now and who views you as important. I believe these are things that we need to talk about, that we need to prepare ourselves for. And I think having a plan for how to spend our time is extremely important. Where do our passions lie? What are we going to develop? How are we going to continue to develop ourselves? Think about the demands on any professional as they work through their day and then suddenly hitting the snooze button and laying in bed for an extra two hours. Your mind's, I'm sure, just racing. Yeah. You're wanting to do something. So working through that and planning for that early is extremely important. I would tell our any of our professionals, not just our pilots, to just prepare for that. Prepare for that first six months after retirement. Where you're not walking into the office, you're not sitting in the left seat, you're not the pilot in command. And I don't know about other firms, but we start that process, Morgan, very early. We start those conversations and we start developing those skills and that transition very early.
2: So you're telling me I need to get a hobby? I need to to get interesting very quickly? Okay. (laughs) Now that I've found something to fill my time. What happens if five years into retirement, I lose a loved one, a spouse, my partner? That's a very real fear for a lot of people that I don't think they acknowledge right away as a fear.
0: Well, and and I'm glad you're bringing that up, too, because the death of a spouse is non-financial. It's something that you know, ever since I came into this industry, it's been something that has been a constant challenge for our families. It's not new. It's something that we help our families prepare for. I would tell you that when you're younger, we, you know, we all think we're invincible and we get into retirement and you know some of our listeners may laugh at this, but you get older and things start changing, stuff starts working and you go to the doctor more. And that's just something that is not just about health insurance. We need to really think about what's important for us, especially when you've been married to that wonderful person for 40, 50 years, even longer, just preparing for that. We're talking about starting with the simple things like estate planning. These are the things that financial advisors talk about a lot in our industry, but I also want our investors to think about their network of friends, their location, their proximity to loved ones. We're going to think about if I retire and I've lived in the Fort Worth area all my life and then I decide to head out to California because I've always wanted to live around the vineyards and I'm in my mid-60s and I have to meet all new friends and then I lose a spouse. Mm. My network of friends at church, you know, I, I no longer have work. That entire social network is much thinner than it was in the past, and we don't have the history that we have. And we see a lot of those families move back. In fact, I'm thinking about a case right now where we have, and it's very common among our clients, where we have a retiree that's always wanted to build a new home. And in this case, it was a log home outside of the area. And they move out there, and it's tragic. They lose a spouse within two to three years after that, and they feel very isolated. So I'm really glad you brought that up. I, I think that not just the death of a spouse, but also understanding that your social network at work, the network of friends that you have, a lot of that is driven by where you work and where you live. Right. And I think that those things should be considered as very important, not just for those of us with children, keeping our children close, but understanding that along with what are we going to do, how are we going to spend our time, those friendships are so important in retirement. And I would say maybe even more important than they were when you were working.
2: Yeah. And in that vein, personal health. I have actually have personal experience with this in my family is watching someone retire. They're very excited. They had all these plans. They didn't get to them right away. And then health deteriorated. Those concerns are very real. How can we combat that a bit?
0: Well, we talk about that a lot in our practice here, and I really appreciate you bringing that up because not everybody can be as healthy as Jack here, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) we uh, Health changes, and I I know that as a, again, I'll uh, use this example, Morgan, as a pilot, when you are 40 or older, you have to have your medical examination every two years instead of every five years. Well, the reason that you have to have that is because things go wrong. A lot more frequently and can impair your judgment as a pilot. And I want to keep people safe. So that's a real issue that we have to work with. And just imagine if you're 25 years older, you're at a greater risk of having health challenges. But let's talk about just making sure that there is an understanding that as you get older, your health will deteriorate and you're not going to be able to do the things that you wanted to do. Travel, Morgan, is one of the biggest ones we see. We have a lot of families that wait to travel and they have retirement. They work on their house, and they've been trying to think about the right time to go to Europe, and they're concerned about exchange rates and all these things. And what I tell them is that the biggest concern is your health because those trips to Europe, those long plane rides, those transfers, the different languages, the sleep cycle, everything is very taxing and demanding on you physically and unfortunately, you and I, Morgan, have seen situations with dear families that we have really grown to love over the years, and they're planning for this big one trip with their family, and they have a health issue. Yeah. And remember, it's not just a health issue with you. It's the health issue with you or your spouse, right. you or your children that you wanted to take, especially if you have a large family and family's important to you. I know this may not seem as important, but I do hear this also. This could even apply to pets, this could apply to friends, this could apply to so many other extensions of your family. And I just want to bring health to the forefront where I think it it belongs, Morgan, and I really appreciate you bringing it up because taking care of yourself, we saw this with COVID and we saw this with how COVID attacked those that weren't in the best health, that were obese, a little bit overweight. Health is extremely important to a successful and satisfying life and it's no different in retirement.
2: Absolutely. Moving a little bit toward the things we don't think about, they're very practical, but we don't think about them until we're faced with them, which is, what am I going to do with my health care? I'm the sole provider of health care for my family, and then once I retire, what are we all going to do?
0: It's become a bigger issue here recently, especially in the financial planning circles, because we've seen such a large increase of health care coverage. And so in the past, it was less of an issue when a family retired prior to age 65 because of Medicare. When you have an investor that retires at 65, they're eligible for Medicare in most circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. So they don't have to worry about that. In the past, we would have a family or someone that would want to retire at 58, 60, 62. And really the big question was about income and Social Security. Healthcare was an expense, but it wasn't as large of an expense as it is now. Now it's a serious conversation, and we're not just talking about families that are just barely prepared for retirement. We're talking about some higher net worth families that have done very well, have exited businesses, and have more than enough money for the income component and their lifestyle expenses. But making that gap between 62 and 65 is a big issue. Another thing that you implied in your question, Morgan, was a spouse. The difference in ages between spouses, given that same issue, is is a bigger deal today. Most of the time when we retire a family, they're not the same age. Right. And so one of the spouses will be three, five years older. Typically, we've joked the older spouse is the one determining the retirement date, right? And then the younger spouse doesn't like seeing the older spouse hit the snooze button in the morning, so they'll typically want to retire as well. And then you have an even longer gap between the retirement date and and Medicare. So I would encourage our listeners to investigate that early. A lot of that data is available free online with the changes in the healthcare system over the last decade. I would also encourage you to reach out to a number of health care insurance agents. They're usually very happy to run quotes for you and tell you what that cost would be. But unfortunately, Morgan, it's extremely high these days. That's and we're what, talking that's about a couple thousand dollars a month in a lot of cases and is shocking to a lot of our families retiring, especially those who have seen prices increase over three and four decades.
2: Speaking of insurance, let's talk about long-term care. I think people mostly see this when they're watching someone else go through retirement, their father or their mother, and they realize this is something I need to think about before I make this decision.
0: So long-term care is a hot button in the office for me because that along with term insurance for younger families to protect their family, I'm a big proponent of those two types of insurance. I've seen it change over the years, Morgan. I'm actually more of a crusader for physical long-term care, more so than I am the insurance now. And, and let me let me explain to you what I mean. Okay. The long-term care itself is something that has become extremely important and very personal for me. I had a family member that went through a cognitive impairment. I saw that long-term care happen, and I saw the actual level of care that she was receiving. And I was very disappointed. In fact, we had moved her to several different locations because we were, we were very disappointed. And you have to understand where we've come from, right? Our, our society's changed over the years, you know, in the past. And you still see this with uh, different countries. The culture is more focused on family care of individual family members. You know, when the elderly, you keep mom and dad at home and, right. and everybody pitches in and they care for them. And fortunately or unfortunately, it, it is my opinion that we have subcontracted that out to institutions and, and other people to do that. And in fact, Jack, I don't know if you talked about it in your market update, but I read that this week that one in 4 individuals right now is on Medicaid. I saw it was a big headline this week and and for those of you who don't know, Medicaid does offer Medicare does not offer long-term care. Medicaid does does offer some form of long-term care, but if you have ever been into a Medicaid facility and seen that long-term care, it's not somewhere that I would like to have responsible for my important family member. So, the actual physical aspect Morgan of long-term care is something that our, our listeners need to understand. When I got into the business, it was a three-year problem, right? Because we had a stroke, their physical body was failing, and it was a two- to three-year issue, and then that individual would pass away, and the challenge had ended. Now, with the advances in medical technology, which we love, right? They're, they're outstanding. People are living longer. Our life expectancies are out there. The challenge, especially for you ladies, Morgan, especially for you ladies, is that cognitive impairment sets in and you end up living ten years in a long-term care facility? The insurance policies were never designed to do that, and so now the point I'm getting to is they're so expensive that once we get to a point with a family where they can afford a long-term care premium, they can pretty much afford to self-insure. Right. Okay. So it's I, I don't I don't want our listeners to think that I'm not supportive of long-term care insurance. I am, but it's under very specific circumstances. States that participate in the partnership programs do a great job. They have some Medicaid protections there. And please let us know if you have more questions. We can definitely advise you on this, but just be very careful because the long-term care issue that Morgan just brought up is overlooked. It's very serious and it's much longer term than it was in the past because of Alzheimer's and dementia and the other cognitive impairments. So Morgan, I can't thank you enough for bringing that up.
2: Yeah. So talking about our family taking care of us, what if we're taking care of our family in retirement? I'm retired and I'm taking care of some adult children. Is that something that I need to be cognizant of when I'm moving towards retirement?
0: It is. And we see this more and more. And Jack, if you'd like to jump in here too, please do. In our practice, I'm seeing rising instances of supporting adult children. And we used to use that term where it was a child in their early and mid-20s. That has really shifted over the last two decades to what I'm seeing now is our clients referring to their adult children as adult children when they're in their 30s and 40s, and even in some cases, early 50s. There is a growing dependency on income from parents. We are seeing that it is very real. It's something that we do counsel families on. What's interesting is it doesn't seem to matter how successful the family is. We have some of our wealthier families that support and have you know monthly support payments or as-needed support payments that seem a little excessive, and then we have families that are just barely getting by in retirement. And have worked really hard, I think about one case, uh, you know, some of our teachers and that are on a fixed income. Where they'll have an adult child in their mid 30s, and and in this case, uh, grandchildren, where their largest payment is supporting their adult child and family.
2: I mean, it's by a lot. It's, you want to take care of your children. It doesn't matter how old you are or they are. I think it's that's fighting that is difficult for a lot of people.
0: Well, Morgan, you're exactly right, and that's something that that we recognize here at the firm. What I want our investors to really think about is to step back, and I'm going to. I'm going to use the airplane analogy yet again. (laughs) So if we're sitting on an aircraft, if you go and you fly somewhere commercially and the wonderful flight attendants that we have, and they are there to do so many things. And one thing they do is promote safety on the aircraft. And when they're giving us that presentation right before we take off, they always instruct us to put on our masks before our child's. Do you know why that is? Because if I pass out, if we lose pressure in that aircraft and I can't breathe, I'm not going to be a lot of help to my child. (laughs) Right. And so the advice I would give our investors listening is if you are endangering your own retirement or you are exceeding your own withdrawal rate, and so basically you're spending more than you should. And in some extreme cases, you're taking out debt or you're doing home equity loan because of continual needs or in some cases, regular crises that seem to present themselves. You're not going to be doing your child a service if you get to the age where you need long-term care and there's no money there to provide it.
2: I think that's fair. You know, saving those moments for when your child actually needs it. There's a real crisis if you have no funds left to actually handle something like that. But then you're not even accomplishing your goal of helping out.
0: Morgan, you bring up a really good point. There's another point that I'd like for our listeners to consider is that making loans and interacting with children and teaching them good financial responsibility and habits is an important part of what we do here. It's, it's part of our legacy planning and, and education. That can be done. If you'll go back and any of our listeners listen to our podcast on raising money smart children, you'll know that this is something that we believe in. Um, we have methods and, and we give recommendations and plans for that. But I will tell you that one of the challenges I see with a lot of parents, and, and just to Morgan's point, these are your children and you want to help them and support them, but is children asking their parents for loans instead of handouts and then never paying back those loans? And that, that's one of the, the big challenges that we've seen recently. There's nothing wrong, and I would encourage you to, to help a child finance a business, uh, help them finance a home, but I want you to look at that transaction the same way the bank would. Take off your mom and dad hat, put on your your business owner, your banker hat or your boss hat and evaluate that transaction the same way Jack would a bond. Yeah, so we need to make them sign a contract, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, you need to look at it because you need to look at it as you would any business transaction. You can provide such a benefit to your child by offering them low-cost financing and better terms than a bank can, but you're not going to be doing the child any good if you're enabling a problem for a house that they can't quite afford a business that's really a hobby, those types of things. This is a a discussion for another program, but really thinking about your family in terms of multiple generations instead of just dealing with a single need. So really good points that y'all brought up today.
2: We've danced around this a little bit on this program, pre-retirement personal development. I think we should end with this. I think it's extremely important. It's something that we don't put into focus or put a lot of emphasis on until maybe it's too late.
0: I can really summarize this, Morgan, in uh, just a couple of points very quickly here. Start thinking about how you want to spend your retirement early. And don't think of it in terms of retirement, because retirement sounds old, right? I mean, Jack, if I say retirement to you, what do you think of? Yeah, it's way down the line for me. Way down the line, (laughs) right? But if you're someone, if you're a high performer in your 40s and 50s, and even in your early 60s, I want you to think about, this is your time to step back and think about, some exciting things that you want to do and to start that planning process early. Don't wait until after you retire to decide that you want to teach that course down at the local college. Don't wait until you retire to decide that you want to get that that AMP certification to work on aircraft. There's so many other things out there for you to do and so many wonderful ways for you to spend your retirement. I want to get our investors thinking about these things early And thinking about how they can get the certifications and the development and how they can prepare themselves for what arguably could be the best part of their life. They don't have to go into the office. They can spend it with whomever they please, just get a lot of personal satisfaction to every minute of their day. And and their time is so much more important than money. And the last point I want to make, Morgan, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Let's just pick on the last five years before retirement. Each dollar that you're making has so much less of an impact than the dollars you saved at the beginning. Right. So it's I'm not telling you to 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 play hooky from mm-hmm. work, but spend less time building net worth than you did earlier in your career. Talk with your financial advisor, if you're on track, take some more time off, reduce your schedule and focus on some of these things that are going to become a more important part of your life in retirement. Just understand that the time, the minutes that you're spending now, the dollars that you're earning now are less valuable than all the hard work you've done in the past. It's time to start patting yourself on the back.
2: Tee yourself up, right?
0: Absolutely. So, Jack, this should uh, impress upon you that the dollars that you're earning today are so much more valuable than the dollars you'll be earning later.
1: Yeah, I think I have some things to think about after this podcast.
0: (laughs) thank you to all of our listeners for taking the time to listen today. As always, if you enjoyed this program, please subscribe to the Red Commentary on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or your preferred podcast platform and never miss an episode. Also, if you know other investors that would enjoy this program, please share the Red Commentary podcast through email or on social media. We also like feedback on our program and ideas for future topics. If you have the time, we would enjoy hearing from you. All of us here at The Rudd Company would like to thank you, our investors and clients, for your trust. Thank you for allowing us to be your partner in your long-term financial journey. We take our role very serious. Thank you very much for listening today. This is The Rudd Commentary. I'm your host, Josh Rudd, and from all of us here at The Rudd Company, invest long and prosper.
3: This commentary is distributed for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Nothing herein constitutes any offer to sell or solicitation of any offer to buy any security. All investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal invested, and nothing herein should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any opinions expressed by employees of the Rudd Company are the Rudd Company's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any affiliates. The opinions expressed by guest speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Rudd Company or any affiliates. Guest appearances on this program does not imply the Rudd Company's endorsement of any entity, person, product, service, or investment. All opinions are current and only as of the date of recording and are subject to change without notice.